This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at LeBanc St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Um, it's, it's really lovely, isn't it, when you've prepared something to say and then things just seem to fit in in the service. And what John was saying today about communion um, fits in really well and the songs that we were singing, so that's fantastic. I want you just to um, picture the scene. We're gathered in a circle, all arms, hands linked together. The bubbly's been poured, it's ready. And a strike of 12 happens, and we begin to sing. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind. 2017 had begun. Another year comes. More anticipation and hope and excitement. New challenges await us. And I raise my glass and celebrate it. I wonder how many of you guys did that only two weeks ago. Feels like two months, doesn't it? (laughs) Two weeks ago, we were standing there singing Old Lang Syne. Well, some of us might have been. I really, really love New Year. I know lots of people don't, and it is really only psychological. It's just another day, isn't it? But I love New Year, and I think it's because I love new things. Like, I love buying new things, but I also love new things. I love newness. I love beginning a new book. Or I like a new adventure, going somewhere new, or a new challenge that's, that's before me. Um, I love stationery. I love new stationery. How many people love new stationery? Mm. Love that new notebook when you just, it's all pristine. I love that. I love getting into a newly made bed. Yes. Especially when someone can be bothered to iron. I, I never bother, but if I go around to my parents, They've always ironed the bed linen. It's lovely. It's so nice. I love newness. So rather than make New Year's resolutions such as eat less chocolate, drink less caffeine, go to the gym more, which I suppose would all be sensible New Year's resolutions to um, make, I actually make different types of New Year's resolutions. And so what I tend to do is I try to think of new things that I could do. I have a little boogie here. <laughs> it's all right, don't worry. <laughs> so I, I try and think about new things that I will embrace. So I try to think about maybe like a new genre of music I'll listen to or new type of genre of reading or maybe a new skill I can um, embark on. And so this year I've chosen some new things to do. My new genre of music is Elvis Presley. Yeah. So if you come into my car at the moment, if you ever have a lift... <laughs> You're giving me a weird look, Jonathan. <laughs> if you come into my car at the moment, it's like a little like disco um, effect happening where you really probably will be shook up in there because it's kind of like Elvis blaring out, okay? And I'm absolutely loving a bit of Elvis. I can't believe it's taken me this long to discover Elvis Presley and how much I like it. Um, so that's my new, new music, and I've decided to read a new genre of book, so I um, am going to embrace Agatha Christie. Is that worth embracing? Yes, no, I'm getting mixed reactions here. Okay, well, I'm going to do that because I never really read those type of books. Actually, I don't really read fiction very often. 
Um, when I do, I love it, but I, I never do really. My default setting is to read books about my subject, so, you know, theology or philosophy, whatever it is. Um, and finally, I've started to listen to different things. So I really love, enjoy listening to podcasts and different speakers, and um, I'm a bit of a Radio 4 geek, so I listen to a lot of Melvin Bragg and things like that. And you always go to your sort of normal thing. So I've decided to try and listen to new people that I don't really um, listen to. So there's a lot of TED Talks out there, you know, these TED Talks. So this week I listened to one about procrastination, because it's quite a topic close to my heart. So I thought I might be able to um, understand a little bit more about why I procrastinate. Uh, actually, it was quite useful. So, so I'm embracing new things. Why do I do this? Well, I suppose it's because I don't want to just become so familiar with everything that I do all the time and stay safe with different things. Now, I know it might not be living life on the edge to listen to Elvis Presley. I, I get that, okay? But sometimes we can get so used to doing things that we normally do and listen to the same old things and, and then there's a whole world out there that we're missing. And so I guess I just want to make sure that I'm not missing out. But I think sometimes um, it can be a little bit like this with our Christian journey because it's easy to maybe just get stuck in a place, to just become too familiar with things. And so that's why when John was saying about the communion table, how often do we take communion? And, and like it is always fantastic, and the songs we sing, but sometimes it's just, it just becomes quite familiar, and it loses the impact and the wonderful, beautiful truth of the faith that we hold to. And we can be on this journey for, well, some of us have been on this journey for quite a while, the Christian faith. And sometimes I find I become a little bit too familiar with God. Like I think, yeah, I know, I know God and his ways and how he works and his word and the Bible. And sometimes I'm in danger because I, because I know stuff and because I've read certain passages a number of times of not really seeing just how awesome and amazing God really is and the truth that we hold to and what he's done for us and what he's given to us and what he's blessed us with. It's like when you fall in love, isn't it? You know, when you fall in love with somebody. Those first few moments, those first few weeks when you're in love, it's just so wonderful. You see them and your like, heart skips a beat. And it's all just so exciting and fantastic. And when they tell you that they love you, it's like it just melts your heart because it's the first time you've heard it and it's fantastic. And then time goes by. A week later. Well, no, maybe not. <laughs> time goes by. <laughs> Quite a bit of time goes by. And it just is all a bit more familiar. And it's a bit more normal. And that's not a bad thing at all. That's a, the beautiful thing of relationships is when you get to that place. But sometimes it can be a place where you stop kind of appreciating the other person. The way that you did when it first started. You maybe don't appreciate their good looks so much. Or appreciate the things that they do for you. Or the things that they say. And when they say they love you, because you've heard it so many times, hopefully, um, it you know, may not have the same impact that when you first heard it in the first instance. Because we're familiar. Now, like I said, that's the great thing. When you're in a place that you know each other and you're so comfortable 
But you know for it to keep working that you have to keep appreciating the person. You have to keep on seeing them again and seeing who they are and listening to what they say and never ceasing to be thankful for them. I think it's no different with God, really. It's the same sort of thing. It's so, so wonderful and so beautiful that we can have a God that we are familiar with, that we can have a God that we can call friends, that we can have a God that we can find a safe refuge in. That's, that's amazing, and that's what makes Christianity just so unique, that we have a God who is our safe refuge. But sometimes I worry that it stops me seeing new things. And it stops me from really listening to God and the word. And sometimes it stops me being amazed and thankful and in awe of God because I've just become a little bit familiar. And I really want to keep on seeing just how amazing God is and just how amazing our faith is and how fantastic it is and letting the word of God come alive again in me. You know, the Bible um, is a living word. So every time we read it, it should come alive in us again. So it doesn't matter whether you've read the same passage 500 times, there's still something new to be seen in it. And sometimes we can read the same things and, and we just think, oh, I know that. I know that passage or I know that reading. But actually it can bring a, a new sense of life to us if we allow it to. And today I want us to look at a familiar passage in the Bible, a story that you will all know, and a, uh, an idea that you will all know. But I want, if we can, to just see it again with fresh eyes. And maybe just stand back in, in wonder and in amazement and awe at who God really is. And I've entitled this message, Jesus Puts Everything Right. And again, that's very familiar to us. Jesus puts everything right. Yeah, good, I know that. But hey, come on, Jesus puts everything right. Jesus puts everything right. Isn't that amazing? I was just thinking, because this was in my heart, I suppose, when I was singing today, I was just seeing those words afresh because I've sung those songs a lot and sometimes we can be in danger of, of not seeing the truth. I was thinking, Jesus has the victory. Jesus has overcome. You know, the truth of that, I want to see it afresh. And I hope today that as we look at this passage in the Bible, we will see something new. So, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 11. And we're going to look from verse 17. First of all, to verse 36. So this is the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And um, Lazarus has died and he's been in the tomb for four days. And um, Mary and Martha are, uh, you know, in despair about it. And then Jesus turns up on the scene. So let's have a look at this from verse 17 in chapter 11. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, 
Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, We'll just pause there for a moment. Lazarus was uh, one of Jesus' disciples, and one of the twelve, but one of his disciples, and someone who was an intimate friend of Jesus. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were almost like family to Jesus, we presume. And this story shows a remarkable truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do. It gives us great insight. And as we see the way that Jesus handles this situation... It shows us why he really is the one that can put everything right in our lives. We have two grieving sisters and two same responses to Jesus from the both of them. But we have two extremely different responses from Jesus to the sisters. So Martha comes along and says to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Almost like, Jesus, you've come too late. And she's in that absolute despair. And Jesus' response to her is one of more kind of rebuking the doubt, but giving her hope and saying, I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. That's his response to Martha. And Mary's words are similar because she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. The same thing. She too is in despair. But this time, Jesus' response is, is different. There's no... Uh, argument or anything like that he's pretty speechless actually and rather than speaking against the grief he enters right into it and he joins Mary in her weeping it says Jesus wept and all he can say to Mary is where is he where have you you laid him where is he now why is Jesus responding so differently to these two sisters who are feeling the exact same pain and suffering is Jesus being unfair well is Jesus, so probably not. Um, No, it shows something different. It shows the wisdom of Christ. It shows something about who Jesus is, and it reveals something to us today which is still relevant. Let's think for a moment. Now, if this had been me, okay, and I'm going into this situation, and I've got all the power, right, and I can do miracles, and I know full well that I am going to... Bring Lazarus up from the dead. If that was me, I would go into the situation very differently. I'd probably be dressed a little bit like Wonder Woman. I'd probably be rushing in 
you know, cape in the breeze and saying, it's okay, everybody, stand back, I'm here, and uh, do the miracle and be very excited about what I was about to do, having the knowledge that I could do it. But Jesus is very different. Now, Jesus is divine, and Jesus knows that he can bring Lazarus back to life. He knows he's going to do that. So why does Jesus weep? Why does Jesus come into the situation like that? Why does Jesus show his vulnerability? Why join Mary in her pain and distress? One minute, he's speaking to Martha in strength. I am the resurrection and the life, showing his strength. And then the next minute, he's showing Mary his tears. I think it's because Jesus is trying to communicate who he is. He's saying, look, I am truly God. I am fully God. When he speaks to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Only God can give and take away life choosing to do that. So he shows he's fully God, but then he shows, but I am fully human. I am fully man as well. And I will join you in pain and suffering. Modernism today, it lays down two fundamental challenges to the incarnation, to the divinity of Christ. One, it says it's wrong, and one, it says it's unnecessary. So people today um, who are Christians, who, who follow the faith, sometimes don't accept the incarnation, the divinity of Christ, because it's either it's wrong, and actually it's not necessary for the faith. And you may well have been challenged by this idea before, you know, whether you ever sit and think about things like the incarnation or whether that could possibly be that God could be fully man. A famous philosopher called John Hick, and uh, he, said, he put forward this. He was a believer, but he said this. That you can't have a square circle. It's an absurdity to have a square circle. You can't do that. It's impossible. And we go, yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. You can't have a square circle. It's impossible. And so he uses that to say you can't have God being fully God and fully man. It's an absurd idea. But the square and the circle, it's because they occupy the same space. If you think on a logical map, they occupy the same space. They're both shapes. But Jesus Christ as God and man, as what common logical areas occupied by God and man? What species are they both examples? Well, they don't. God is creator. God is the creator. We are just mere creatures. As Thomas Aquinas, one of my favourite guys, Thomas Aquinas stressed, he said, divinity, humanity, they occupy no common logical territory. They're totally distinct. So you can't parallel a square circle with God being fully, fully God and fully man. Jesus as God and Jesus as man is not an illogical uh, contradiction. It can be both. No more than if you think about somebody with dual nationality. Jesus was a citizen of heaven and a citizen of earth. He was both. And it makes sense. And so in his response to Martha, he's showing his divinity. He's showing his divine. I'm the resurrection and the life. No one can claim that. No human can claim that. Jesus is not a prophet. That's why Christianity is so different. Jesus is unique. And the Bible shows this. I mean, we could look at different passages in the Bible that show the divinity of Christ, where he's prayed to. Jesus was sinless. 
He forgives sins. It says the fullness of the dead, he dwells in, dwells in him. He has the title of I am. He knows all. He's worshipped. So we see in the Bible Jesus being God. But we can see in history books as well. If you look at the writers of the time, uh, historians wrote about the followers worshipping Christ and worshipping Christ as God. They saw him as the wise man, powerful, revered. Now, of course, that doesn't prove to us that Jesus was divine, necessarily. But it is extremely significant. Why? Because the Jews would not have accepted the idea of God being man. No Jew would accept that idea. It was like it it wasn't going to happen. They wouldn't worship a man as a deity. God couldn't be man. So you couldn't try and convince a Jew that Jesus was God unless he really was God. And so lots of Jews did believe. So it would be foolish to try and convince them if it wasn't true because they would not be ready to hold that idea. And also, of course, you know, if Jesus wasn't God, then we probably would have seen some sort of flaw in his character. Because, to be honest, if I tried to convince you I was God, um, I don't think it would take you too long to probably realise that I'm not. Um, Maybe five seconds, I don't know, something like that. So, Jesus lives this sinless life. Now, I know, like, you know, no human can do that. Now... I could go on. I could go on with evidence about incarnation and carry on and do that, but we haven't got time and I, I, I'm not going to. But hopefully what you see is this, that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is divine. And why is that so important? Well, it's important because the crucifixion and the resurrection wouldn't make sense without it. Otherwise, it'd just be a man. So that has to be God to make sense because God was the one that came to rescue us, to take our sin, to stand in our place. It was God who did that for us. But we also need to know that Jesus is Lord because, you know, there's times in our life when all we can do really is call out to Jesus. And we get to a place where that's all that we can do. And we need to know that Jesus has the victory. That Jesus has won, that Jesus has the power, because Jesus is God. And we really need to know that. But we also really need to know that Jesus was fully human and fully man. And in his weeping over Lazarus, his human vulnerability is exposed. He becomes one with Mary. Why is that so important? Because in that portrayal of him becoming one with Mary, it's as if he becomes one with us. In the way that he wept with Mary, he will weep with you. Because God became human and he knows what it is to suffer and he knows what it is to have pain and he knows what it is to be sorrowful. And so when we're in the depths of our despair, we know that we have a God who weeps with us. And that's so important. So important for us to know the truth that Jesus was God, that Jesus was man. Timothy Keller calls it this, the ministry of truth and the ministry of tears in this passage. And I love that expression. And I think, I know in my life, I need to see again the ministry of truth and the ministry of tears, that there is both available to us. We don't just hold to one 
or the other. So many religions hold to just the ministry of truth. But we have a personal God as well. A personal God that comes into our situations. Sometimes we can get too comfortable and forget this. When we're going through life, if life seems a little bit dark, a little bit scary, when you face a fear or an anxiety, or it's a little bit lonely, or it's a little bit hurt, then we need to awaken our soul again to the truth that Jesus is Lord and all his promises are true for you. So when we read that Jesus will provide, that God will be there, those are the truths of the faith that we can hold to. But we need to remember the ministry of tears, that God doesn't just stand there and say to us, trust me. Do not fear. I know the plans I have for you, or I love you, or don't be anxious. I could go on. He doesn't just stand and say that to us. He comes right into where we are and kneels with us and weeps with us. He's not just speaking to us. And I don't know what you need to hear today. It might be the truth. You might need to hear that Jesus can save you, that he can forgive you, that he will provide for you, that Jesus will guide you, change you, comfort you, send you. I don't know. You might need to hear truth today. Or you might need to hear the tears. And you might need to know that Jesus is beside you and he understands you and he feels your pain and he weeps with you. You know, as humans in our relationships with one another, we do this all the time. Sometimes we have to speak ministry of truth to people. And we just have to sit down and advise them or say it as it is and try and give them the truth, however painful that might be. And then at other times, that's really inappropriate. And all we can do is sit with the person and weep. And all we can do is listen. And all we can do is stand by them. And if you're in that place where you need somebody to do that, the last thing you want is somebody just telling you stuff. You just need to be held. You just need to be you know, comforted. And that's the beauty of God. That's the beauty of God. You know, sometimes we're told, do not be afraid, don't be anxious, Um, you know, whatever it is, you know, have confidence in God, trust in God. And you hear all those things and you know all those things and you feel awful because you are worried and you don't feel very confident and you don't feel you can trust in God and, and it's all too much and yet you know you should. And the beauty of it is, is that, yes, there's a truth there, but God understands that. God understands that we struggle. And he comes in and he steps in to where we're at and says, it's okay that I can hold you and I can weep with you because I love you. It's all right that you're struggling at the moment. It's all right that you're worried. It's all right that you're struggling to trust me. It's the beauty of the Christian faith, isn't it? We have so much truth. Such an amazing God who can do amazing things. And yet we have the Almighty say, but I know you and I love you and I'll weep with you. That's why Christianity is so cool. Let's have a look at this next passage because there's more. And I still have time. So, Jesus becomes human, obviously to take our place so he could go to the cross. God had to become human to do that. 
So let's look at this next passage. Chapter 11 still, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odour, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So he took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amazing story. In verse 38, it says that Jesus was deeply moved, but actually... Our translations don't really cut it. And if you go back to the Greek and you properly translate this, it says that Jesus bellowed with anger. Jesus bellowed with anger. Jesus was furious. He was enraged. At what? Why? He wasn't angry with anybody there. What was he angry at? What was making him bellow with anger? It wasn't just deeply moved. He's angry at the suffering. He's angry at death. He's angry at evil. He's angry at the evil and the suffering that is in our world and that affects us. He's as outraged, more so even, than we are at it. Because evil and suffering is not the intention of God for us. So Jesus is angry at this. But he didn't come to bring an angry judgment on the world. Isn't that amazing? No, he came to take the judgment for it all. He came to take the judgment for the evil and suffering. And Jesus knew that when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, he knew that the religious people of the day would try and seize him and act upon it and want want him dead. He knew that that would happen. He knew that this act would begin to lead to his arrest because they wanted to find ways to arrest him. So he knew that calling Lazarus out of the grave, he was putting himself into the grave, because this would start. And the witnesses said this, see how he loved Lazarus, but really, we can replace this by see how he loved us. See how he loved us, because he knew that if he did this, he was going to the cross. And so he becomes human out of this immense love for me and you. It's amazing. Author Dorothy Sayers, I don't know if you know this author, was one of the first women to go to Oxford. And she wrote detective fiction. And she wrote a series of stories, novels, about a guy called Lord Peter, who was a detective. And this detective, Lord Peter, was single and alone in the middle of the series, these novels. And then, in the middle, uh, she brings in this character, a tall, not particularly attractive woman named Harriet. And she comes into the story. And she is the first woman to go to Oxford. And she writes detective fiction. And she and Peter fall in love in the story, and they get married, and they start solving mysteries together. What's going on here? Well, it's been speculated that she created this world with this man in it. And she created this character. And the character that she created 
she saw the pain that he was in and the loneliness that he had. And so she wrote herself into it. She almost fell in love with the character. So she wrote herself into the story and they fall in love and get married. It's almost like she wrote herself in to save him. And that's a beautiful picture of God with us because God looks in at the world that he created. He sees the world and he sees the fact that we are suffering and we're in pain and almost destroying ourselves. So what does he do? He writes himself into the story. He writes himself into the story to save us because he fell in love with us. He was in love with us. You know, I said right at the beginning, it's easier to, easy to become familiar with certain Bible passages and certain truths of the faith and we're in danger of losing the impact. There is a truth in this story that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And I really want to encourage us not to underestimate what that means for us. In every situation, whatever we face, everything we go through, we can hold on to the truth and know that God also shares in the sorrow and pain. We have the great truth that God will conquer. We have the great truths of our faith, but we also have a God who understands where we're at. And I think there's something else here as well. That God knows you very personally and understands you very personally. Actually, probably better than you know yourself. Because I wonder sometimes about this story. Why didn't Jesus respond to Martha in the way that he responded to Mary or responded to Mary in the way that he responded to Martha? Why why not the other way around? Well, I think, and I'm only surmising, but maybe it's because he knew them and he knew their characters and their personalities and he knew how to respond. He knew what to say to each of them. It's almost like parents with children, isn't it? If you've got two or three or four children, you have to kind of do things differently sometimes because they respond differently. I think my two sisters, the three of us, we were different characters and so what worked with one wouldn't really work with the other. And so the discipline of one wouldn't happen with the other. And so my parents had to, you know, figure it out on how to respond to each one of us. And I think it's, it's the same here. Jesus knew Mary and Martha and he knew how to respond to them. And I think God knows you very well. Very well indeed. And will respond to you in the way that is best for you. Because sometimes I find in my life, I look at other people's situations and I think, God, hang on a minute, I'm praying for that same thing, but it's not happening in my life, but it's happening in theirs. God, why are you providing for them, but not for me? Why are you doing this, that, whatever it is? And you look at other people around you and you think, well, hang on, we're all saying the same prayers, but some seem to be getting answers and mine don't. What's going on? Well, I'm guessing that it's because God knows who we are and he actually knows what's best for us and he will meet our needs in the way that we need them met and we can trust God for that a little nugget tucked in that story so I started the sermon by saying Jesus puts everything right I'll end with saying that Jesus puts everything right it's the ministry of truth It's the ministry of tears. I don't know what you need to hear today. You might need to hear them both. But let's hear them again, whatever. Let's awaken our soul and our spirit to never get too familiar with this idea that God is in 
you know, came down incarnate in flesh in Jesus. An amazing, amazing story. And we have the truth of the faith that whatever we need, God is there for us. He can forgive us. He can bring us back. He can restore us. He loves us. He can provide for us. He can show us the way forward. But also, we might just need that comfort to know today that Jesus weeps with us and he holds us and he gets us through it. I'm going to invite the worship group to come back. And uh, they're just going to play for a little moment before we start singing, just so that it gives us a moment to respond in our hearts to God and his message to us. We have an amazing faith. We have an amazing Bible full of beautiful things, beautiful truths. And I pray today that just something of what I've said might just connect with us in some way. And just give us the opportunity now, individually, on your own, just to come before God and maybe something that's been said, you can just connect with God about that. Father God, I thank you that I thank you that you're right there for us. Whatever's going on in our lives, whatever's happening, however unworthy we might feel, however broken, wherever we find ourselves this morning, in the great highs and the great lows, Lord, I thank you that you're there. thank you for the truth that you never leave us you never forsake us that you forgive us that you bring us back to you I thank you that you've got the victory you've won, you've conquered you are the resurrection and the life and I thank you for that and I pray today we will claim those truths for ourselves into our situations and stand on them and know them trust in them but God I thank you that you don't just stand and talk to us but you actually come in the midst of where we're at and that you are as angry and frustrated at evil and suffering as we are but you don't abandon us you come into it and you're there and we thank you And I pray today that if there is anybody here that just needs to know your loving arms around them, that they right now would feel that and know it. And they would know that every tear that they've shed, you've been right there. And that you weep with us. You don't condemn us. You don't stand there in judgment of us, Lord. You are with us. We are yours. I thank you that you love us. God, come alive. Let this word come alive again in us today. Let us never be in danger of becoming so familiar with who you are and your ways and what you do. Let us never take for granted the great truth of our gospel message. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Healing Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceelin.co.uk